This morning we're picking up our series in uh, Ecclesiastes. We'll be in chapter 2. I'm happy that you came back and uh, that last week wasn't too incredibly meaningless for you, if you, if you know what I'm saying. So hopefully you, were, you weren't at home going, why, why, why? Um, but you're, you're here again, and so thankfully um, you've come back. And I might also say, I'm actually very encouraged that so many of you um, love Jesus more than football. Yes. And, but I'm not even entirely sure, like, why would you need to stay home today? Like, the game's at 3.30. Like, are you going to sit at home and just like, okay, let's just think about this for a little bit. Let's just take some time. I just need to relax before I watch a football game. And, uh, I, you know, I, should, I, I shouldn't talk about other people that way. I don't really get into football very much, but when the Ducks were in the national championship the other day, I, that was probably the only, I think it was the only game that I watched, uh, you know, beginning to end. Um, that's how committed I am to football. You know, I, I love the last game of the season. That way I don't have to be stressed out the entire time. But here's kind of what happens in my life is that I, I take all of the stress that I would have had throughout the whole beginning of the season, and it all lands on that game. My wife said at the end, after, um, you know, many, many uh, just difficult situations during that game, my wife just said, I'm really glad that you're not really into football um, because I was a mess all the way through that. Some of you are Beaver fans, and you're like, yeah, you're happy about that, but whatever. Anyway, Hawks are, <laughs> Hawks are uh, in uh, the Super Bowl, and so that'll be, uh, that'll be cool today. So I'm glad you came. Thanks for being here. Uh, what brings your life ultimate meaning? Let's just jump right to it. What, what brings your life meaning? The Greeks used to talk about the, the meaning of life and talk about how it's so important to try to figure that out. And to try to understand really what is the meaning behind life. And it really is like having a, a tool and not really knowing what its purpose is. And then finally going, oh, this is what it's for. And Because here's, here's the problem is that if you take a shovel and you say, you know what, my teeth are really dirty. And this looks like a good tool. I mean, it just doesn't work well, does it? I mean, it's, it's going to be uncomfortable uh, for those of you with big mouths. I mean, it might work temporarily, but... Uh, shovels were not meant to be a toothbrush. And just in the same way, life has a secret behind it. Life has a uh, meaning behind it. And when you find out the meaning of life, you're going to understand how to actually use life rather than being used by life. When you walk through life and you say, and you try to get your meaning out of everything that is in life, you end up being used by it. But a Christian is somebody who comes to the world and they come to creation and they come to other people and they're not somebody who's going to be used, but they are going to be, uh, that, the, that the world becomes useful, that experiences become useful, that they're, that they're able to see the usefulness of life. And they're, they're able to not look at life and say, wow, all of this is meaningless, but they're able to look at it and say it has ultimate purpose behind it. And so my question to you today is, do you understand the meaning behind your life? Do you understand what you're after and what you're chasing in life? There's many, many people, in fact, brilliant people in our world who have never really fully understood. They've never really grasped this. In fact, there's a guy named uh, Albert Camus, and he says this, to decide whether life is worth living is to answer the fundamental question of philosophy. He says this in his book, The Myth of Sisyphus. 
from uh, 1942. He says, everything else is child's play. We must, first of all, answer the question. Another guy, Robert Zaretsky, talks about Camus' lifelong quest. And he says this, if the question abides, it is because it is more than a matter of historical or biographical interest. Our pursuit of meaning and the consequences should we come up empty-handed, are matters of eternal immediacy. What, the, what this guy says is he, he says, Camus is right. Camus is right when he says, to decide whether life is worth living is to answer the fundamental question of philosophy. And he says, and, and this guy, Zaretsky, says, this is of eternal immediacy. He says, this is the question. This is the question. And he says, Camus pursues the perennial prey of philosophy, the questions of who we are, where, and whether we can find meaning, and what we can truly know about ourselves in the world, less with the intention of capturing them than continuing the chase. The chase. He talks about this guy, Camus, and Camus is just like, it's like, He's not necessarily intent on finding an answer, but he, the, the, the trajectory of his life is essentially saying, I'm going to be chasing this forever, always searching, never arriving at an answer, perpetually in this place of questioning, perpetually kind of going, I don't know, what is the meaning of life? And I don't know about you, but I don't really love being there. I don't really love being in that place. I mean... Many of you are in your 20s or your early 20s, and you're kind of in that place where you're saying, what's the meaning behind my life? And you may even be a believer in Jesus Christ, and you may love him and know him, but you're still in this place <coughs> of questioning where you'd say, I, I'm not exactly sure what life is for. I'm not exactly sure what, I'm, what I was put here for. What's my ultimate purpose in life? And these guys say, this is the most important thing that you can pursue there's a great quote from C.S. Lewis from The Problem of Pain. He says, all your life, an unattainable ecstasy has hovered just beyond the grasp of your consciousness. He says, the day is coming when you will wake to find beyond all hope that you have attained it or else that it was within your reach and you have lost it forever. You, you, you know what he's saying right here? He's saying throughout the entirety of our, our lives, there's this, what he calls this unattainable ecstasy. One of the, one of the best ways that you, you could probably describe this is, is when it comes to sexual fulfillment. If you ever got to a point as an individual, and hopefully uh, only when you're married, where you'd say, okay, I'm sexually, completely sexually fulfilled, and I need nothing else, it, it would be kind of depressing. But when you think about the idea of that, I don't want to get too graphic here, there's always room for more. There's, there's always room for more, normally. There's always room for, I, I want more experience of that. 
I want to be close with my wife or my husband. In that way, I want to be close with somebody like this. And, it, and, it, and in essence, what Lewis is saying, there's this unattainable ecstasy. There's this unattainable ecstasy, and it's just beyond our grasp. And it comes through in statements like, if only, if only. You talk about like your, the plans for your life and, and what you're looking at, what you, what you want to see happen. When you were 18, you had these plans, and that plan worked itself out. And then when you, when you turned 30, you, you made another plan. And, and when, when you got a little bit older, you made another plan. And when you got, you, you, we continually make these plans, and we continue work them out. And there's always this kind of if only. There's another step in our life. I told you last week about how I, I have made, personally, I have made steps in my life continually and I always get to this next step, even as a pastor, and, and, I'm, and I'm saying to myself, if only, if only, if only. And what's happening is this, is that there's this unattainable ecstasy that's just kind of just, just out, of, out of my reach, out of my grasp. And I keep saying, if only I had this. If this would happen in the church, I would be so excited. If this happened in my personal life, that would be the thing. I remember when I first uh, was dreaming about this church, and I dreamt about it for years until finally the day came when God kind of fulfilled this uh, dream that I had when I was probably 20 years old. Of, of, you know, something I feel like God put in my heart to do. And I had been dreaming about it and dreaming about it and dreaming about it. But then when I started the church, and this was like for those of you who have businesses or you have job um, you know, aspirations where you're like, I, I want to get that promotion or whatever. In essence, that's what it is like for a pastor where you say, you know, I, I want to make it to this level and I want to do this and I want to succeed in this area. And so I'd gotten to this point very early on in the church where I planted the church and all of my hopes and all of my dreams, everything that I thought about as I was getting ready to do this and uh, the years of pre preparing for that and so forth. And then I finally got there and the realization came to me I remember thinking very clearly, this isn't as good as I hoped it would be. At the time, I thought it was this, with <laughs> all this responsibility. I mean, it's an organization. I'm responsible as, you know, for budgets and, and planning and, and people's lives and speaking clearly and knowing and understanding the scriptures and making room for people and all of these things. And so the pressure, yes, that's hitting me. But there still was just kind of this lid on my life and I'm hitting my head on it. And I'm just going, this is, this is for God. And it's supposed to be this thing that gives me un this unattainable ecstasy. And I'm supposed to get to this point where everything is just perfect and I feel so great. But at the end of the day, I found myself wanting something else. Have you ever felt that way? Just, just hear some older folks in here saying, uh-huh, been there. If you haven't, you're probably going to. I guarantee you will. There's this lid that we keep hitting our heads on. And going back to Lewis's quote, he says, The day is coming when you awake to find beyond all hope. It's, it's, it's like the chase is what's so exciting. The idea of it 
is better than actually achieving it. How crazy is that? It's like I'm chasing and I'm chasing and I'm chasing. The idea seems so incredible to me, but then I get it and I just go, hmm, all right. You've seen that in relationships. When you were younger, hopefully before you were married, you, you got to this point where you were like, I, I'm going to pursue that person. And, and, and you just do everything to try to attract them. Girls, you put on like smelly stuff. <laughs> Guys, uh, I don't know, grow, grow a beard or whatever. I hear that's sexy these days. Uh, um, uh, yeah, I just lost my train of thought. Uh, <laughs> Always do this. this. You're not supposed to do that in public speaking. I'll just let you know. You're, you're after someone, and so you do all kinds of things to, to pursue them. And then haven't many of us, not all of us, but haven't many of us been in that situation where they finally say yes. And then you take them out on a date and you go, eh. Yeah. Again, hopefully that's not your spouse right now. Uh, if 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 it is, we, we should have a conversation. But it's not everything that you hoped it would be. It's, you get to the end of it and you just go, you, we could name countless, countless experiences in our lives where you started something, you started an endeavor, and you got to the end of it and you were like, it's really not that great. It's really not that cool. Because you come to the end of it and it's no longer pleasurable. It no longer gives you fulfillment. Because either you attained it or you never could and you found out, yeah, she's out of my reach or that job is, is not in the purview of what I'm called to, to do. And so either way, there's like this depression because you, you got it or you didn't get it. And there's a worthlessness that comes because we felt like it was going to make us feel worthy. We feel worthless because we get to, to that point. We thought this was going to give me ultimate meaning and value. But ultimately it doesn't give me meaning and value because it just doesn't pay off. I'm hitting my head on the ceiling. Or if it doesn't actually pay off, I still feel worthless, worthless because I thought that that was my ultimate goal. I finally gave up on it because I couldn't attain it. And we're looking for a sense of worthiness, of meaning, of value. And ultimately what happens is that we're disillusioned. Just like Albert Camus. He's just on this chase. And it's more about being on a chase than it is about actually finding anything. Always asking questions, never finding the answer. So what chase are you on? What chase are you on? What are you looking for? Today, it might be the Seahawks or whoever else is in the, the game. <laughs> I'm dead serious. I totally forgot. I don't even care. <laughs> the Patriots. Okay, yeah, there we go. Yeah. Uh, look at it a little bit further. What are, you, what are you hoping for next week? The thing that I'm looking for next, next week is going to be this. What are, what are you hoping for over the next year? Are you hoping to find a spouse? Have a child, hopefully in that order. 
Are you hoping to get that job? Are you hoping to find that career? Did you know that that is a chase that is deep inside of you that's saying, this is going to bring me ultimate meaning? And if you misappropriate the way that that goes, you will find that you are used rather than being useful. I want to look at our our passage here. Just read the whole thing. It's going to be all of chapter 2. And then we'll go back over it. Chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes. Now remember, real quick, remember this. This guy's a professor. He's He's not entirely right with God when he's saying the things that he's saying. He's not supportive. We're not supportive of the things that he is saying. But God is ordained that this would be put in the scriptures to show us someone who's a skeptic and someone who is searching. And many scholars say that at the end of Solomon's life, after going into all these avenues of of seeking for ultimate meaning, that he finally came back to God and and then wrote this this book of the Bible. So we'll we'll look at it in that way. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. It was meaningless. It was pointless. It was here today, gone tomorrow. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them in all kind, planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to bring water, which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possession, possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, many concubines, the delight of the children of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. (coughs) And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the, the toil I had expended in doing it, And behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained or profited under the sun. It got me nowhere. Verse 12, so I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly. And there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head. But the fool walks in darkness, and yet I perceived that the same event happens to them all. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. 
Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity and a striving after the wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity or meaningless. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. Now, I want you to see three things here. Solomon, King Solomon, the wisest king who has ever lived. If you remember what I told you last week, that God comes to him in a dream and says to Solomon, ask what you want and I'll give it to you. And Solomon says, I need understanding, I need wisdom. And so God says, well, I really like that because you didn't ask for all these other things. And so as a result, I'm not only going to give you wisdom, but I'm going to give you riches in everything. So Solomon is, is this incredibly rich and powerful person. His dad was King David of David and Goliath, the story, if you remember that. And so Solomon is beyond rich. He has riches that we will never know about. You could watch MTV Cribs. That was on probably 10 or 15 years ago. I don't even know what's on MTV today. Um, it's probably not music, I'm pretty sure, because it's just whatever their dumb shows are. But uh, uh, MTV Cribs, and then when I was a, a, a smaller child... Um, not, not that I'm a grown-up child, I'm an adult now, of course, but uh, uh, some of you may think otherwise, but uh, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, and that, that guy, I'd love to talk like him, that'd be hilarious right now, but um, he, he had this show, and he, you know, you just see these ornate things that people would do, and like, these rich people, they're drinking Cristal, whatever that is, and they're, you know, they're flying on airplanes to islands that they own, and they're, you know, there's, there's women, and, and, uh, what everything else that comes, riches and, and buildings and pools and, you know, cars and all of this stuff. And this is uh, Solomon. This guy had everything. And he's so wise. He's almost wise beyond his own good. But he's wise like, 
like these guys, like Camus is. He's so wise that he like continues to think about life and continues to think about life, and it's a great vexation to him. It's, it's like, it's confusing because he gets to the end and he says, no, really, what's the meaning in life? And what's interesting about him is that he's a guy who grew up with a daddy who loved God. He grows up with a daddy who loves God, and so he's got no father issues. His dad loved God and walked with him. Of course, he murdered a guy and committed adultery, but that's besides the point. I mean, he loved God, right? Everybody in the Bible, by the way, other than Jesus, is very faulty. So Solomon's a guy who doesn't really have any daddy issues. He comes into power. God makes him very rich. And let's just say for a second here, he's a Christian. But he comes into all this money. And he comes into all of this wisdom. And he says, okay, I'm going to experiment a little bit. And you can kind of see his life kind of parallel some, some of our lives. Like there's a phase where he's just kind of a frat boy. And he's just like, let's party. We're going whatever, you know. I mean, we're going crazy. Uh, he's, just, he's just doing all kinds of crazy things. Like look at the passage. He said, I will test you with pleasure. He's, he's going to do a little experiment here. And the experiment is, can I get real meaning in life out of pleasure? Can I get ultimate meaning in life from pleasure? And so he, then he says this. He says, I said of laughter in verse 2, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? There's kind, of a, there's kind of two sides to this idea of pleasure. He's talking about laughter, and it's like this, you know, gregarious kind of, you know, backslapping, I don't know, I think of rednecks and, uh, you know, beer brawling, you know, whatever, guys. And it's just, it's just kind of this carousing kind of, the hang, think The Hangover, the movie. I mean, just ridiculousness, like laughter, and he's, he's going into laughter, and I tried laughter, and then, he, and then he goes into something that's a little bit more refined, and he says, and then, I, and then of pleasure, what use is it? So he goes into this refined lifestyles of the rich and famous type lifestyle, and he says, either way, it made no difference, it's meaningless, and he said, I searched with my heart out to cheer my body with wine, so he he essentially says this, okay, let's try just going all out with alcohol. And so he's doing keg stands. He's playing beer pong. I mean, he, I mean, there's just craziness going on in the palace. And it's just night after night after night after night. But it's not like him and a few frat buddies. Like if you were to read in 1 Kings, like everything that he had, I mean, uh, for a day... Like he had so much food and there was flour and there's animals and it was like an immense barbecue like all the time. Like the thing I love about my house right now is that we have a, a patio outside and uh, it's big enough to have like some church meetings at it and so forth. But I love to invite my neighbors over 
uh, who don't know Jesus per se, and I love to invite other people over, and we love to party, and we love to throw lots of meat on the grill. But at the end of the day, what happens is this, is that I run out of money, and we got to go, all right, we've got to, <laughs> we can't be buying tri-tip all the time to have people over. It, but Solomon never had that problem. He never ran out of money to have barbecues or things like this. He had this incredible party, and there is alcohol upon alcohol, and it is never ending. And the way that you could look at that is you could say, he has tried everything. He tried to kill this pain of life. He tried to kill this nagging question. Does my life have meaning? Do I matter? Why does it always feel meaningless? So he's continually having this thought. And he says in verse 3, I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom. And it's like this. I drank and drank and drank and drank with all my buddies and all the girls, and we partied and we partied and we partied. But at the end of the day, if I didn't pass out, when I laid my head on my pillow, I still knew that I feel meaningless. At the end of the day, I still put my head on my pillow and I knew something's missing in my life. Remember, his daddy loved God. And here he is, a man, a young man, and he's... He's just perplexed by this. Do I have meaning in life? And so he's gone into to alcohol. But let's just let's talk about that for a second before you miss the point. Are, are we here to demonize alcohol? Absolutely not. Uh, are there people who should avoid it because they have an addiction? Absolutely. Those of us who believe that alcohol is okay and that Jesus actually... Uh, Jesus' first miracle was making the best wine at a party. Uh, those of us who partake, we watch out for the folks who have issues with alcohol. We make sure not to be drinking around them or to even tempt them with that. So before you start thinking that alcohol is the issue, alcohol is not the issue. The issue is, is that Solomon was trying to find ultimate meaning in life through alcohol. He's going to say the same thing about a couple of other things here. He's going to say... I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guided me with wisdom and how to lay, lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the days, during the few days of their life. And then look what he says in verse four. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them in all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I mean, think, think about everything he's talking about here. It's like, uh, we have a small backyard. Uh, if, you, you know, if, if you have a little bit more, more property, maybe, maybe you have a little bit more. This guy like built gardens upon gardens upon gardens. And then he, he planted forests. You know, you might, you might plant a couple of shrubs around the front of your house. This guy planted a forest. So much so... That in that arid Middle Eastern climate, he had to create pools 
And so he digs these pools out so that he can water everything that he's just planted. And then he's going to go on and he's going to talk, talk about this. He says, I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. Like he had servants upon servants upon servants all throughout his kingdom. There was nothing that he had to do for himself. He could sit back and relax. He could do whatever he wanted. He could party all night long into the early morning hours, finally pass out, go to sleep. Everything would be done. Everything would be taken care of. He'd wake up as soon as he wakes up, breakfast at his lap. And then it says this. He said, I also had great possessions of herds and flocks more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. Now, I mean, we're, I mean, it doesn't sound real sexy to have like, oh, he's got a lot of goats. I don't know if any of you ladies have been like, you know what? I'd like to hang out with that guy. I saw he had some sheep. That's just awkward, right? I mean, it's just, it's just not sexy these days. But in his day, that was. In, in our day, what we'd say is this. He's got a job. That's a step up. He doesn't live with his mom. Uh, sorry, whoever you are who's in here. Um, doesn't live with his mom. Uh, he, uh, you know, he has a car that's his. I mean, these, these would be good things. But Solomon had everything. He had everything. Verse 8, I also gathered for myself silver, silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces he had dollar bills, y'all. Um, I got singers, <laughs> both men and women. It, it's not like he was like, hey, check out this new band I found. It would be like, hey, check out this new band that I just bought. Like when he liked uh, music, it wasn't like, you know, I think I'd like to listen to that again. Could you make me a recording of that? No, he's like, would you like to come play at the palace? And they'd be like, yeah, what date? He'd be like, Forever, like forever and ever, like would you like to come and play for me whenever I want? And it, it would be fantastic. I mean, like, if I could have Coldplay in my house, just like, sing me something, Chris. I mean, I, it, it would be amazing. It would be absolutely amazing. But this is what Solomon was able to do. Like he had everybody and everything at his fingertips. He was able to do this. And he says... And many concubines, the delight of the children of man. Every time I read that, I want to read it like El Guapo from the Three Amigos. Many, many concubines. I mean, it just sounds dirty, right? I mean, it just, that just sounds dirty. But I mean, here, here's the thing, is that he wanted and he got it. He, he wanted something and he got everything. There's nothing that he wanted that he did not get. Can you imagine what that would be like? Did you know that most people who win the lottery end up destroying their lives? It's a proven fact. He, on the other hand, comes into all of this wealth, uses his wisdom, is able to keep his life somewhat stable, and he's able to go all the way through this, and he gets to the end, and he says, listen, I have been there, I have done that. I have had every kind of girl that you can imagine. I have had 
all the money that I've ever wanted. I have built buildings. I have seen success. I've had any amount of wine. I have every servant that you could possibly imagine. His life revolved around pleasure for a time. But he says in the end, I became great and surpassed who were all before me in Jerusalem. But he says, last verse in that passage of verse 11, Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was meaningless and a striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. C.S. Lewis talks about there's this unattainable ecstasy. And it's like he's saying, God help you if you get it. Because at the, on the other side of getting it, you're going to realize that the chase was way better than actually receiving it. What are you chasing? Is your life about pleasure? How, how are you pursuing pleasure? What are you going after that is ultimately going to lead you with nothing? You get to the end of the rope and you just go, there's nothing attached to it. I got to the top and there's nothing there. I reached the pinnacle of my desires and it's gone. You don't believe me. Look at the countless celebrities that have either ended their life on purpose or ended it through drugs, alcohol, what have you. Like it wasn't enough. What was it? Philip Seymour Hoffman died in the, within the last year from a heroin overdose. He had everything. He's a fantastic actor. And he still needs drugs to soothe something. God knows what. Because it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. And you think that you're going to get there? You have countless examples in front of you. You have the teacher or the preacher as he is called in the book of Ecclesiastes, saying, no, I had the money to do it, and I did it, and it wasn't enough. What's it going to take? Well, he says, the next thing, I turn to consider wisdom. And he says, wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? He says, only what has already been done. He starts to think about, okay, I want to be a really wise king, but he, like everybody's already kind of done that. That's already been a thing, you know? That song's already been played. I want to play a new tune. But so he, he goes into wisdom, and, and, and he thinks about folly, and he's essentially kind of asking this question. He's like, is, is ignorance really bliss? That's kind of the question he's coming in. With. And he's saying, is it better to be wise or is it better to be stupid? You know, I mean, should I just be a fool and just like, who cares? I'll just do whatever. I mean, is ignorance really bliss? And so he goes into this and he says, then I saw that there is more gain. There's more benefit. There's, there's more like earthly gain in wisdom than in being an idiot as there is more gain in light than in darkness. And he's essentially saying this, that when you're wise, you're able to see where you're going and you're not going to be stumbling over things. Things are not going to be taking you by surprise. And so one thing we do know is this, is that in life, it seems obvious that we should probably be wise. And so he says, so that's a benefit. 
And so that's a pretty good thing. And, you know, if you can kind of imagine like, oh, this has been so depressing. Like he's been through all these things. And then you go, oh, finally. Oh, so that's a, that's a, there we go. There's a pot. Good job, Solomon. Way to start being a positive thinker. And then he says, um, and yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Oh, come on. Can't you be happy? I mean, come on, you're the wisest dude that has ever lived. Like, shut up and enjoy it. But he's, he's vexed. He's like, I can't, I can't do it. He, he then starts to think. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. He's, he says, I'm going to be wise, and I'm going you know, to spend wisely, and I'm going to live wisely, and I'm going to eat well, stop eating bacon, and I'm going to... You know, go exercise some more. Like, all, all the wisdom you can think of. He's like, it's just better to live that way. But he says, at the end of the day, this dude who's just been a moron for his entire life, like hand to mouth, constantly, like, just can't really get ahead or can't really do anything, right? And, he, and he's, he's essentially saying, we're the same. We're ending up in the same place. We're both going to end up in a casket, so why should I be so wise? It's like people who kind of get into that mode of thought and they say, you know what, I'm an intellectual. You know, you wear your black frame glasses, you read Huffington Post, wear skinny jeans and drink coffee down at Archive or something like that. I mean, it's just, it's, it's like you, you become, you just embody like I'm an intellectual and uh, I'm an intellectual hipster all of a sudden. And so you just kind of end up in this place where you're, you're doing all of these things. And ultimately, you're no different than the redneck hick. I'm just calling out myself here for a second. Like, you're no different. Besides, I can't be as cool as you. But we're no different. We're both going to end up in the same place. We're both going to end up there. So what difference does it make whether you think that you're so wise or I think I'm so wise or you think your way of life is better because we're both ending up in the same place? It, does, it comes to an end. And then it goes on to work. And so he says, you know, you can see the, the stages of his life. Remember the frat boy. And then we go into like the young intellectual who says, you know, I'm going to think about the things of life, the bigger issues read complicated articles and philosophers and so forth. And now he's on to, you know what, I'm just going to get to work. He's kind of becoming a family man now. And he's like, you know what, we've got to get serious about life. His parents had to talk with him and said, Solomon, you really got to cut this stuff out. Like, you need to get things together. Get a job. Get, get, work it out. And he says, uh, verse 18, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool Yet he will be the master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the, the sun. This also is vanity. 
So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun because sometimes a person who is toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. You can hear the frustration in his voice. You can guess what political party he's in right now. You can just go, this guy's angry. I worked for it. I earned it. I should be able to keep it. But he's essentially saying, this is a great evil that I would work all of my life and I'm going to leave it to some guy, his son or whoever comes after him. I'm going to leave it to some guy who basically could just misspend and just be an idiot with the funds. He can just destroy the palaces that I've built, my house, the temple, the gardens, the forest. And he says, this is a great evil. And so he's like, I, I, can, I can go after pleasure, I can go after wisdom, I can go after work, but at the end of the day, I did everything that I possibly could. I had all the money in the world. I had all of the opportunity. I achieved everything I set out to do, and it is nothingness. It's a vapor. I'm left with nothing. And here's what's dangerous for you and I. You and I will never be able to get to that point the way that he has because he had every resource to get there, and you and I do not. I don't have endless resources. I don't have endless abilities. And I'm imagining that you're about the same way. What's so dangerous about this is that you could spend your life at fruitless pursuits, saying, I'm just going after this, I'm striving, I'm chasing, I'm chasing, I'm chasing. And Solomon, who's been there and done that, says, you're just grasping at the wind. You're just grasping at the wind. You're just like, you're, you're, you're shooting for something that is not there. You've seen it in your relationships. You've seen it in the job that you wanted and then you got and then you didn't like. You've seen it in everything that you do. So why would it not be true in the end? You've seen people who've gotten to the end of themselves. You have example upon example from your own life, from the life of other people, and yet you and I don't get it. And why don't we get it? It's because we do not see God as being the ultimate provider and purveyor of all things good. See, God made wine, and he gave it to us for our enjoyment, but not as a pursuit in and of itself. And God gave us sex. Praise Jesus. But he did not give us sex for sex itself, but to enjoy life. And God gave us the idea of, of money and the ability to use the things of this earth, but he did not give it to us for them. He gave it to us to point to a reality that is greater than ourselves. And as long as you believe 
that the reality is in the thing rather than the giver of all things, you'll constantly be grasping. You'll constantly be striving after the wind. You will constantly be left with it's meaningless. It is a vapor. It is vanity. It is futility. Why? Why? Because you don't see who he is. Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I mean, could you, could you just like pray that? I mean, how many of us in the morning, and, I, and I, I'm, I'm with you, or in the evening, whenever you're reading, if you read, are, are able to say, God, you make known to me the path of life. Like, I see you as the one who gives me life. I mean, don't we go through life just going, God, I want to see you as life. I want to see you as the, the, the one who gives life. I don't want to try to get my lifeblood, my meaning from all of these other things because they just keep bringing me to an end. Even a good thing like a church. Even a good thing like sex. Even a good thing like alcohol. Even a good thing like work. It just goes and it goes and it goes and it brings me to the end. But God, you make known to me the path of life. It's not found in my work. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. It is attainable ecstasy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Why, why are you and I searching for that? Because of this. In the next chapter of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Do you know why you want more? You know why you keep hitting your head on the ceiling of satisfaction? Because he designed you. Because in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth and he breathed life into man and he created woman, what he put into their hearts that travels into us as creation is he put eternity into our hearts. Why is Albert Camus and every philosopher that's really ever lived been concerned with the idea of what is the meaning of life? Because it does not feel like it has meaning. What, is, what should life be used as? What is the tool that life is and how can I use it properly? The reason why everyone has ever asked that question is because he put eternity into the heart of man so that we would seek him. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. 
And he is the one who gives life. John 10, 10. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. What's he offer the woman at the well? I have water that you know nothing about. You will never thirst again. And she's confused and she says, I don't even understand that. Like, what are you talking about? And he's like, I can give you living water. And you and I are sitting here just going, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. I got to go to work. I got to go to work. I'm I'm, I'm in this relationship and it's really providing. God, I don't have time for this. And Jesus is saying this. He's saying, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And you're like, Jesus, I don't have time. I just, I got to work. I got to keep doing this. Got to keep going after this relationship. And I got to keep keeping this thing up. And he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And you're like, I just don't have time. And he says, at my right hand are pleasures forevermore, and you will never thirst again. And I will be yours, and you will be mine, and I created you that way. And if you misuse life, you will be left with nothingness. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, myself included, we are here and we know that yet we seek after things pleasures, work, riches, sex, escapism through alcohol, drugs, or what have you. Lord, our addictions are an indication of the trajectory of our heart. It is not pointed at you. May we see that you are the only purveyor of all things good. Even the good things that we have in life point to you. That you are the only good God. You are the only one. And as long as I seek after other things, I'm just missing it. And I'm misusing this life. And I'm getting used by it rather than being able to use it for your glory and for your good and ultimately finding my meaning in you. So Lord Jesus, may we come to you. May we admit that we are weary, that we are heavy laden and look to you for rest. May we look to you as the only one who provides the good news of the gospel, which is You can stop trying. You can lay down your weapons. You can set aside all of those foolish pleasures. And you can look to me. Or you can keep running. So Lord, I pray that we'd run to you. I pray that we'd seek after you. I pray that we would love you. God, not because it's right or because it's good or whatever, but because you have pleasures in store for us forevermore. They're eternal. They are perfect. They're forever. It's in your name we pray.